Hey everyone, if you love the Sus Talk podcast, make sure to also check out other pods across the HSP network. Take a listen to amazing shows such as Subway to Shea, Third Floor Lounge, HSP, and Adventures with Trendsetter. Make sure to hit the notification bell and subscribe today so you don't miss out on all the great podcasts on HSP. Welcome to the Sustock Podcast. I'm Smooraki. The month of May is here, and I haven't really done a non-sports podcast in a while, and this time we're going to learn about the daily life of a local news reporter, and joining me to talk about her career is my former WR... WRHU Newsline colleague who currently works as a reporter for WFRV Local 5 News based in Wisconsin. Please welcome to the show, Danielle Zolkowski. Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Thank you for having me. All right. So before we go into your current your current position over at WFRV, I think I feel like I should probably bring it back a little bit and talk about our time in Newsline for a little bit. So because I... From our time, I've worked with you on numerous newsline newsline shows, mostly as an audio engineer. While you worked as not only a producer but also as an anchor at times as well. So, when you from your time working at Newsline, how much did working working that program prepare you for the professional level? It definitely helped a lot. I think WRHU gave me so many opportunities that other places would not have given me, which is like kind of a big selling point for Hofstra. Um, I was doing a newscast every week. We had a lot of people that were involved. So we were on a rotating schedule. And also because I was a student, I couldn't commit to doing a newscast every single day, but we were able to, you know, produce the show, report and make packages and anchor the show, which is all great experience. But the thing that we got to do that I have never heard of most colleges allowing their students to do was we got to go to things like the gubernatorial debate when uh, Andrew Cuomo debated Cynthia Nixon and it was on Hofstra's campus. So I got to report from there and I got to report and talk to some pretty big names, uh, Ruben Diaz Jr., the Bronx Borough president. I just walked right up to him as a 21-year-old undergrad student. I was like, can I interview you? And he was there spinning for a candidate. I don't even remember whose candidate he was supporting. Um, but it was just very exciting to be able to do those kind of things. My friends that were a couple years older than me, um, they got to go to the DNC and the RNC. And when Hofstra hosted the presidential debate, the students there got to report from that. And, you know, our our management at WRHU was phenomenal at getting us opportunities that other people just would never have thought of, you know, trying to squeeze their college students in. John Mullen, he he got us in the door, but, you know, and then they taught us really well what to do once we got there. It's kind of amazing looking back, just like all the different opportunities that everyone got to do, especially like on sites, which as the stuff that you mentioned before, it's like it's actually insane that what we were what everyone was able to do. I like I, I remember like back in 2016 with like the the election coverage was insane because like it was not just like our like it was just the entire media world just kind of just came to like this camp to our campus and then. Out of all of that, we still had to like find out, find like different, um, do interview views, go up to all these big names, and then just like collect, talk to them, interview them, and then it's just, it's kind of just insane, like how much like WRHU and like Newsline managed to like 
prepare everyone for like professional level like this. Oh, a hundred percent. I agree. We got so many opportunities there and it was also a big, a big part of it. And what I tell everyone is it, it's what you make of it that, um, that really makes your experience and gets you to where you want to be in this industry, because it's kind of a cutthroat industry. There's no, no doubting that. I mean, this is television and radio um, and you, you have to put in the time and you have to really want it to make it in this industry. And that's why I, you know, moved. It's kind of scary to move across the country, but if you really want a job, Sometimes you have to move because I was from too big of a market originally. I couldn't get a job in my hometown. And so I moved to a smaller place and, you know, it's been going great, but I am really blessed that I was able to have those opportunities and that Hofstra was able to provide things like WRHU and even things like Heat and her campus and SPJ. They were also great opportunities. Let's, let's talk about that because like we, you moved all the way out in Wisconsin and it was just like, it's kind of interesting because like Wisconsin, like we've, there's a lot of news that's been coming out from that, from the state recently. And, but just aside from that, like what made you decide to go to Wisconsin out of all the other 49 States? Uh, they offered me a job oh. in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> uh, that's sometimes, uh, what it takes. And there wasn't a lot of job opportunities in the pandemic. I got laid off. So my first job was doing digital videos for a newspaper. Um, they were fronted packages. So it was great opportunity to get some more um, experience in front of a camera. And this time it was professional experience. So then when I went to apply to jobs, even though it wasn't television experience, I still had a professional job on my resume to kind of help get me in the door at a slightly higher market level because Green Bay um, is a mid-level market. So I was able to utilize the experience I had um, not only at WRHU, but then the first professional job I had outside of college, which was working for um, LNP, Lancaster Newspapers and Lancaster Online, our website. And I did a lot of work there and used my basis from Hofstra and even my basis from my high school journalism program to get me um, an interview and get my foot in the door in uh, Wisconsin at WFRV. And it's been going pretty well so far, I'd say. What was it like when you, when you first like moved over and you officially like sat down and you went to Wisconsin and it's like, what, what, what was it like? How much was of a transition was it? just to like adjust to living in a different different part of the country and then not just that but also you're covering an area that you haven't exactly like lived lived in yet yeah it was stressful and it was scary I don't know a single soul in Wisconsin I do now obviously it's been like uh nine months I think at this point or eight months and I I did not have any friends. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the grocery stores. I had to find an apartment. I, you know, even the grocery stores, the different stores in the mall, like a lot of things are different here. And it's very weird and it was very stressful, but it's kind of just part of this industry. And I said that before, but you just have to want it. And you have to just be able to handle a lot of change, which sometimes is the worst part of this this job is having to 
you know, change, change your life and leave your family behind. And that's definitely the saddest part is that I miss my family the most. Um, and all my friends that are on the East coast, cause all my high school friends and my college friends and various friends I made along the way are all on the East coast. So it, that was probably the hardest part was that it was just sad to be alone, um, without like the people, you know, but I've made new friends and it's been, it's been going really well. You know, you get to, you get to meet new people in this job every single day. And I'm a chatty Kathy. So I love to be able to just go talk to new people, turn my package in and do it again the next day. Is there any, is there a difference that you noticed that from moving out to Wisconsin, like the Midwest compared to living out in the East coast? Oh yeah. Two totally different places. Um, people on the East coast. Um, and it's different because of the pandemic. I haven't really lived in the true Midwest yet, but I feel like people are friendlier here, but people aren't necessarily like mean in New York. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time in New York city going to school out in that part of the country and people aren't necessarily mean there. They just have places to be. And I always tell people that I'm like, you just, just don't get in their way. Don't stop on the sidewalk. And here people are just like a little bit more friendlier and things move at a slightly slower pace, which is, which is also nice. But, you know, there was, I think there's, there's less, you know, big crime breaking news stuff happening here, which as a citizen, I can appreciate as a journalist, it leads to, um, you know, different, more fun stories that I get to cover. I got to cover probably my favorite story of all time uh, last week, and it was covering a nursing home that was opening back up to visitors, and I covered and interviewed two 100-year-old women. Um, One was 100, one was 102. They were sisters, and their mom also lived to be 100, so apparently that runs in the family now, and after the interview, they went to happy hour, and the the older sister drank a beer. She drank a whole Miller Lite. And it's my favorite story to tell people. And um, the younger sister, she had a cranberry juice, but just like a nice refreshing cranberry juice on a Thursday afternoon. But I think I, I've gotten to learn a lot about journalism here and how to you know find a story, how to make contacts, how to network. Um, I have a great assignment desk editor and he's helped a lot with that being new. That's probably one of the hardest parts of the actual job of being new is you don't know anyone and you have to create a network of sources. And, you know, I've been working on that for the last eight months and it's, it gets easier every day, but, you know, having, having a good team to back you is really important. I'm kind of taking it back at the idea of just like two, a hundred year old women going to a bar and then just <laughs> once. Yeah. They have a bar cart in this nursing oh my home. God. I, with like liquor bottles on the bar cart. And I was like, are you going to drink the liquor? I think it, it was just plain cranberry juice. But the one sister actually had a whole beer. It's like, are we talking with like a regular glass or like one of those tall, really tall glasses? Like for, did you not see like, did you just see like they had? Oh, it was just, it was a can and she they put it in a little plastic cup for her. And then they kept refilling it with the rest of the beer from the can. I figured like maybe at least like give, give her a straw or something like. Make, make it a little they were both fine they didn't need a straw i know some people like a straw but when they don't want to lift the glass but she they were very with it and um you know they were 
they're very um, cohesive and it was very impressive. If, if I am that put together at that age, I will be shocked. I, I can I can say that um, it kind of shows like if you have like that much that much spirit at that age, you can spit. It just kind of tells you like, God, they must have lived a really, really fulfilling life because that's, yeah. that's one of them even said that their husband died in his 60s, which means for the last like 40 years, she's been single. She lived like a whole second life. It's kind of it's kind of amazing what you find out about people, and that's I think like that's like the most important part of that, like that you that you learn from like the from the from journalism at the very. It's like you meet, as you said, you meet people, and then you find out their stories, and it's just like, whoa! Like, I I can't believe like this person lived through this, or this person did did this. Like you just learn all all this different kind of different kinds of things about diff- about different kinds of people. Yeah, it was that's that's the best part of the the job is talking to people i love to talk i talk all the time it's that's it's the best that i work in our southern valley bureau office because i am down there with just myself sometimes which is good because when i have to work up in the green bay office i just talk to everyone and they're like you have to get your work done i'm like you're right i do i have a deadline i just like remove myself from sitting around other people because i just talk all the time which is great when you're talking to sources and networking and doing interviews but when you're on a deadline that's my that's my biggest weakness is i talk too much all right let's get in let's get into the like the day-to-day of like being a news reporter so how does it how does it start off and like how long exactly does is like a a single day feel like so i am a night side reporter which means i come to work at 1 30 p.m and i leave at 10 30 p.m because we have a 10 o'clock newscast so i come into work at 1 30 and i need to bring a news pitch or sometimes they'll assign me a story if something happened in the morning that they know off the bat, I'll have to just cover because that's how the news works, breaking news. Um, and um, sometimes I'll make calls before I get in if I know my story um, to kind of get things set up. And then I'll go out and do my interviews. Uh, and I'll come back and edit it together. And depending on the day, sometimes I'm not coming back till after eight o'clock. The other day, I think I got back at 840. 850 and I had to have a whole package edited and sent up to Green Bay where our you know our main editor is to put it in the show um in about an hour and you it's not like you can send it off at 10 it has to be in before 10 and I really pushed that one close that's the fastest package I think I've ever edited um but Sometimes if your stories fall through, that's when you're having a really stressful day, making calls, trying to um, find another source or find another story idea. That's that's definitely um, the most stressful part of it is thinking, oh, gosh, what if I what if I can't come up with anything? Um, And what if what if I'm not going to or what if I'm not going to make deadline? You know, it's a very fast paced, quick turnaround thing. Um, so we try to plan some stuff ahead, but the news always is always changing. So you can only plan ahead so much. It's kind of it's it's so contrasting compared to like the, from working for me. It's like from working at sports media. It's like it's it's so different because like there's in sport in in sports industry like there's like uh, like a fixed or set like set in stone like story 
or that there's like one dominating story and then there's like the little ones that you can kind of get into later whereas if you go to like the actual news side it as as you said it's like it constantly changes some stuff happens and sometimes there's like different out layers and different updates that come in and like the stress level it's kind of, it's incredibly stressing because like you're it's so unpredictable as to like what kind of story you're covering, the nature of the story. Like I've always found it like interesting, like from from listening to you, like right now, it's like it's kind of amazing that like this that um, people like have to are so like are able to like keep up with all this, you know? Like you're able to just keep up with like a story that keeps changing over and over again. For example, yeah, it it helps that you have a great assignment desk manager, assignment desk editor. Um, he, he is on top of everything and at our station and that they're on top of everything at, you know, every station they work at, but he, he is the most organized person. And that's like the hardest part for me is he stays on top of emails, calls, texts. He's always in communication with the reporters. And I think that speaks volumes to like his dedication to the news and to the station. Um, which is great, um, especially when I'm out alone, because I'm a multimedia journalist. So that means that I don't always have a photographer and I edit all my own stuff, um, which I prefer. I love to edit. That's my favorite part is watching. I, I know I said a lot of things are my favorite part. Everything's my favorite part. I love reporting. Um, but I love to edit the stories together because I, as I'm doing these interviews, I I see how it's going to come together in my head. I pre-plan, you know, I'm like, oh, that would be a good closing sound bite, or that would be a good opening quote, or, oh, we should put that in the middle. And, and then I plan out like my stand-up, which is when you see the reporter on camera. Um, and I, I know kind of just about how stories are going to come together. If I can't see them in my head beforehand, it takes a lot longer to edit them. And sometimes I don't have a plan coming in because I, I, sit down and I'm like, mm, maybe I should change it this way. And then I try out a couple different things, but you know, most of the time I'd say maybe half the time I get a photographer, half the time I don't. A lot of the time, if I have a photographer, um, I'm doing a live shot. Um, so our live shots, um, I normally go live at six, but I also go live in the four and the five and the 10 sometimes. Um, but I'll do a live shot in the six kind of previewing what the story is for 10 o'clock and then 10 o'clock when you'll see my full package. I love live shots. I love the adrenaline rush of being on TV when they cue you and they're like, and cue. And then you just start talking and you realize like everyone is simultaneously watching you in the control room and at home. And you have all these thousands of people watching you talk on live TV. Like I could never sit behind a desk. It's too boring. It's, it's kind of like, it's a really awesome like experience to like do those live shots. So when you're doing like, out on the field, for example, it's like how many people do you try to like interview? And because I know that when I listen, when I see like a live shot story, like, and they have like little blurbs and pieces and from different people, it's like how many people do I always wonder, like, how many people did they actually have to talk to? And how long did you have to talk to, to like the, those people, like the bystanders out, out, out in the area? Like, it's, I've always found that interesting to me. It's like, how many how long did it take to make this and how many, how long did it, did they have, how many people did they have to reach out to? How many people did they have to talk to just to see if like they had an opinion on this story or they had a reaction to what just happened in the area? 
Well, so that kind of interview is called a man on the street or person on the street when you just go out to a busy sidewalk and you go, hey, can I talk to you about blank? And those are very difficult to do. It's objectively everyone's least favorite type of interview to do. And one of the worst parts of the job, because a lot of people are like, oh, no, we don't want to talk. Or if they're feeling particularly mean that day, they will yell at you. Um, about what you've asked them about. And that's a little silly. Just say no and walk away. There's no need to get upset. Um, but that's part of the industry is people are going to be upset. People are always upset. Um, but it's still our job to provide information and be professional. And that's what I do. Um, but a lot of the time for every interview I get, I've probably approached 10 people that have said no, or they're one of 10 or something like that. Um, it takes a while. And then for every interview you see, there might have been one that was completely off the rails um, where the person might might have been giving you really weird answers or you might have stopped a person who wasn't, you know, sober. That's happened to me before where I and not even like covering sports or anything like just somebody out on the street that seemed like they'd be a good interview. And then they gave these off the walls answers. And I'm like, I don't think any of those answers made sense. And so they, they don't make air sometimes, but I try to give an even coverage of people that feel both ways about the subject. Um, but when there is, you know, an overwhelming support you, you like for, or overwhelming disapproval of something, you like to make that clear that, you know, not everybody was for it and, or only one or some were for it. So it's that's definitely a difficult um, thing to do is to find interviews of reactions on the street. Yeah, I can imagine because like if someone approached if someone approached me at, like out on the street, I mean, I I think it really just depends on how people feel that day because I feel like people would be willing to talk because like I think in in some ways like people like they want to give a like they want to like share share their thoughts on something. But I also understand that's like they also have like their own lives to live as well. So sometimes when you're approaching them and they have and they have something that they need to go to or they're just like something's just a bogging on their mind, like it's just you know that's why I feel like that's why they just say no or they're just like not really like into it or give like an angry reaction as you said. So like it's kind of unfortunate that that that's how like people some people react in a, like a very like rude way sometimes, but I just feel like it's kind of just interesting. Like I just, I always thought about, it's like how many people did they have to interview? Cause like, definitely there's a lot of people that are going to tell you no. Yeah. And getting shot down, it, it, it does stink, but it's part of the job. Um, it's uh, as long as they say politely, no, I don't feel comfortable commenting about that or no, thanks. I don't want to be on TV. I'm just like, yep, I understand. And we all go on our merry way, but I just feel like sometimes just be nice to your local reporters. Like we're just, we're just doing our jobs. I'm a, I'm sorry that I had to ask you about what you feel about the coronavirus, but it's my job. Finally, I just want to ask you is like, so do you feel like the sense like, um, from working at a local news sta news station, like there's like this connection, there, there's like a trust with between like the station and the community. Because I can say that when I was growing up, that list watching the local news at like around like an evening or night edition, like that really and just knowing what was going on like in like in Westchester County, it was just like a comforting feeling and just knowing that 
they're the people telling me like what what's going on are telling me exactly what happened and then that they're giving like just telling you what's what's going on how people in the community feel about whatever is going on and then also seeing the local weatherman local weatherman or woman and like getting like the local sports sports as well like do you feel like or do you feel like a sense like how like connected or the station and the community are yeah i think that's really important especially right now i feel like there's a lot of polarization in the media and that people still trust their local news sources to an extent maybe not everybody does i don't want to you know make general statements but i think that that is still a really important part of having local media like we are people that live in green bay we work in green bay we are here to serve the green bay community and surrounding community i don't want to I, I don't even actually live or work in Green Bay. I live in our southern region of our um, of our uh, market size. And so we, we cover, um, I don't even know, more than 10 counties. It's a huge physical coverage region because um, we cover all the way from Green Bay out um, east to Manitowoc on the lakeshore and then south down to Fond du Lac, which... Um, for a lot of people that don't know Wisconsin geography, that is a really large um, portion of land. Um, so I think it's just important that we kind of have, you know, people, you know, that live in our community covering our community and that we all, we all kind of have a stake in this. Like we want to live in the best community there is and, you know, having, you know, reputable journalism and holding all of our government officials accountable is very important. And that's such an important part of journalism, nationally, statewide, locally, down to, you know, even the smallest towns that we cover, they deserve the coverage that they get as well, because local officials should be held accountable and people should have access to information. It's, it's so important just that that trust because like if no one's able to like trust like any anything from like any media like i just feel like what the hell what do we do about that like it's it's so it's just like if there's if you can't put trust in something it's just like it, it just feels like this sense of um a sense of a, a doubt and uncertainty and then it's just like what 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 do you how else are you going to know anything like how else are you going to know what's going on around you yeah. And if, if you can answer that question of what do we do about the fact that people now, some people don't trust the media, I think you, you might become a very rich man, but I don't think I can answer that. I think I, the only thing we can do is continue to provide fair, balanced coverage of what's going on locally and hope that people understand that we're here to serve them um, as journalists. It, this, this job, it feels like it's all fun and, you know, being on TV, but in general, I feel like journalism is an act of service to the community. I want to wrap up this podcast by simply just asking you something that that you posted that that interested me was you have like this little bucket list thing going on where you're going to attempt to visit all the Lancasters in America, every single one. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, wait, there's more than one Lancaster? Like, I had no idea. So, like, I know, like, the one in Pennsylvania where you're from a lot, and we have like colleagues from WRHU who have also come from that, that that area as well. So, I went to high school with them. We all knew each other. Um, so I didn't realize there was a Lancaster, Wisconsin, until one day I was producing our Sunday morning show, and we had um, 
a Midwest farm segment. So we cover a lot of farming news, obviously here, as Wisconsin has quite a few farms. Uh, and so we cover that news. We have a Midwest farm show and we have Midwest farm reports every day, um, including Sundays, the show that I produce for the next two weeks. Um, but they said Lancaster, Wisconsin had the it was the biggest cow or the cow that produced the most milk or something set some kind of record. Um, and I was like, I have to go. And then I was like, I have to go to all of them. So I looked up a list. Um, and according to Wikipedia, there um, is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 30, over 30 Lancasters. Now, some of them are listed as ghost towns. Some of them are cities inside townships, inside counties. Um, some of them are just unincorporated areas. So the Lancaster I visited was Lancaster, Wisconsin, a city. I think it had about 3,000 people in it. For reference, I think Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the city has 50,000 people in it. And the county has over 500,000. Um, and then there's also Lancaster Junction, Wisconsin. It's an unincorporated community. So I've been trying to find on Google Maps if there's any kind of sign in Lancaster Junction that says Lancaster Junction unincorporated community because I'll go there next. Um, and then Lincoln, Nebraska was once known as Lancaster. That's a city in Lincoln. But there's also Link, um, Lancaster County, Nebraska, which Lincoln is in. And one of my best friends in the whole world lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, Lancaster County, Nebraska. So I will be visiting her, checking that off my bucket list. One of our colleagues from WRHU, Kim, she uh, lives about an hour away, I think, from Lancaster, Kansas. So we're going to make a road trip. One of our other friends, Chris, he um, he's pretty close or a couple hours away from Lancaster, New Hampshire. So I'll have to visit him sometime. And drag him to Lancaster, New Hampshire. But then you start to get out to states where I don't know anyone like uh, Kentucky and Minnesota and California, South Carolina, but I'm going to do them all. The California one's the biggest one. Uh, and that one is outside of LA. So maybe I just need to go to LA and drive out there sometime. But I will, I will accomplish this goal. Some people tell me it's a weird goal but it's my goal and it's my goal that I am going to complete because now I've started, I can't quit. I can't quit things. Once you've been, you know what they say, once you've been to Lancaster, you can't really, you're never really leave it. I, that's what my family hoped. And then I left. Well, I mean, technically you're going back. It's just, it's just that the Lancasters that you're going to are completely different in terms of like dem demographic geography and, and just every, everything is so different. So, like, I think, you know what the, like the thing is like, I remember from, like, I, I looked it up. Cause like this, I think this past month, there was a news story that like popped up, uh, that came from like an, an like an internet meme called like the battle of the D the Joshes. Like there's like in, in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, like in Lancaster County, there is like a hundreds upon hundreds of people of people named Josh. They all converged into this one location and just to determine who is the number one, Josh, who is the ultimate Josh. So that is my favorite news story. My friend was like, can you believe this is happening right in my backyard? And I was like, yes, yes, I can. This sounds like the best news story I've ever heard of in my life. So, you know, everything, like the context, everything that like in the 
that led up to this because apparently like this guy posted this like Josh Swain, this man named Josh Swain, like he posted this like a year ago saying that we should all meet up to determine who's the best Josh or who's the best Josh Swain to be specific. And he like reached out to like any person named like Josh Swain, right? And then afterwards, like when he's the set date that he set was getting closer after a year, everyone like the entire thing just started drumming up again. And then eventually it led to just like everyone just converged into this one location. Most of the people named Josh. And they all just like fought each other with pool no- with pool noodles, which is like the funniest thing. And then like the winner ended up being like this five year old Josh, and it was like the and honestly like my day was set after I saw that video. Uh, uh, and you, they saw him like lifting up and just like still congratulating this little five year old boy for <laughs> as and deeming him the best Josh. And even like the best part through all that was that they managed to raise like for a food drive and raise money for a hospital, a children's hospital. So like, that's honestly like the best part. And like, I agree with you that. So that story so far is my, like my favorite story of the year. And it's kind of amazing that this took place at a Lancaster in a Lancaster location. I know. I didn't realize that um, until my research of the different Lancasters that my friend moved from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania to Lancaster County, Nebraska which I thought was kind of fun. The coincidence is actually just like, it's it's incredible that it's there. Um, So you're down, like you've checked off two Lancasters and like you have another one that's going to come up. It's kind of, so if in total, like how many, you mentioned like South Carolina kids, it's kind of amazing. Like how common, like the, like the name Lancaster is really. Well, it originated in England. So the original Lancaster is in England. So that's going to be my final Lancaster is going to England. There's also Lancasters in Canada, but that's quite, that's quite a lot of Lancasters to visit. You know, we're talking about going to three countries at this point, but maybe if I get through all the the American ones, I'll go to Canada too. Um, But it's just so common because we reuse a lot of names from England. That's, that's the truth of it is that most of the, the names we use here are just English and European names. So the House of Lancaster and the House of York, the the county next to Lancaster County in Pennsylvania is called York. And they were like interconnected in English history. Yeah. Um, one more question. So since you're living in Wisconsin, you've also lived in Pennsylvania. Have you noticed like how would you compare like the cheese like in in both states? Well, can you believe it? I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, oh my God. Very, very lactose intolerant. So I don't eat dairy at all. And I, so I can't even answer that. People think it's hilarious that I moved to the cheese capital where everyone calls the Packers the cheese heads and they wear cheese hats here. And you know what? I've not tried the cheese because I don't want to get sick. That's, that's so unfortunate. Like you've lived in like one area that's like considered a cheese capital of like, at least like the East Coast, because like everyone in Pennsylvania, I've heard so many people from like Pennsylvania say like the cheese there is great, it's incredible, and then you go out to like an actual cheese capital of the country, and unfortunately you're not able to have any of the cheese. It's it's a uh, that's quite un- it hurts. I love cheese, I really do. Yeah. Um. All right. All right, Danielle. Thanks so much for doing this. Let the people know how they can reach out to you on social media. What you've been up to. So um, my handle on everything, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter is at Diesel Cosby, D as in dog, Z as in zebra, 
U-L-K-O-S-K-Y, because nobody can spell that ever. Um, and I post all my stories there and I post little clips of me. Um, so because little clips get more engagement than just links do. So just kind of have a fun time posting photos from my for my daily occurrences uh, out in the field. And I'm posting all the pictures from my Lancaster adventures on Instagram and Twitter as well. So that when I finally get to the very last Lancaster in England, that can be the last tweet on my Twitter thread. That's quite fascinating. And thank you again for for coming on this podcast. That's going to do it, everybody. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.